0: hear the world sounds. You're listening to episode 40 of Hack to Start. This episode features Susan Sue, the growth marketer in residence for the 500 Startups Distribution Team. Tyler and I wanted to invite Susan onto the show to share her insights and experiences gained over the last eight years working in corporate and startup environments. She's run marketing for some of the biggest web startups like RemitSeti, Absumo, AppSumo, and more.
1: Susan now lives in Bali and spends a lot of her time educating early stage founders about all things growth and distribution through 500 Startups' various programs. So let's get to it. Susan, thanks for being on the show today.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Nice to talk to you.
1: So, we'd like to start things off by getting to know about yourself. So, like, where you're from, what did you study, and how did your passion for entrepreneurship develop?
2: I grew up in Seattle, Washington, and then I moved to Silicon Valley for college. I went to Stanford. Um, it wasn't necessarily for entrepreneurship in any way. I was a I was a history major that picked Stanford because I was such a history geek in high school and. The author of my AP history book was a professor at Stanford. So that's how I decided, OK, that's the school that I want to go to. That's that's how into it I was. So nothing to do with Silicon Valley. I didn't know anything about the Internet um, or technology or innovation at all at that time. But then it kind of one thing led to another. And when you're in the area, it's a little bit hard to avoid. So I sort of got pulled in that way.
0: Cool. And so out of school, uh, you ended up joining Google. So what was that like working working there? And what were you doing with Google?
2: You know, actually, the first thing I did out of college, it's so random. I um, One of my favorite stories about myself is that after I graduated from Stanford, um, I thought, wow, it should be easy to get a job. I That summer, I applied. I probably sent over 100 resumes out, and wow. I didn't get a single, uh, a, not even one single reply, not even a reply, not to mention all the stuff that needs to come after a reply. Um, and so I was getting a little bit, you know, a little bit concerned, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with myself, unlike most of my, you know, unlike what it seemed like all of my classmates who were, had been busy doing, you know, VIP internships and all these cool programs during school and getting themselves ready for, banking or starting their own company. I was just kind of like floating around, didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I actually did a year before I joined Google, I did a year of national service through AmeriCorps, uh, which is kind of like Peace Corps, but it's domestic. It's within the United States. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to practice my language skills. And through that year at AmeriCorps, I was basically working in a 100% Spanish speaking environment in Seattle, Washington. So it was, um, was a really good chance for me to do that. I fulfilled my wish. And uh, my favorite part about that, actually, it wasn't my favorite at the time, but looking back, um, I, I find it funny. I made eight hundred dollars a month um, and somehow was able to to pay rent off of that. Paid rent to my parents, but I paid rent off of that and um, just had a very different beginning of my career than most people um, who end up doing startup stuff. But it was still uh, it was still really, you know, an important part that shaped things for me. Um, and then after that year was over, it's kind of like a one-year commitment. After the year was over, I just started. It's, it was really random. I was coming back. I knew I was coming back to the Bay Area, so I applied for a job at Google. Um, one thing led to another, and it worked out. And at Google, because I always had this interest in global stuff and travel and languages, I ended up working on the localization team, um, which just helps turn Google's pro- all, all of Google's you know, pro- products that originate in English into other language markets all over the world. As you know, Google's used by people all over the world, but it needs to be um, not only the language localized, but the whole product has to be really localized for those markets in order to succeed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's really, really cool. What was your favorite part about uh, the AmeriCorps?
2: My favorite part about it, let's see. Oh, you know, I didn't really like it that much, to be honest. And it was (laughs) one of those things that taught me, okay, I do not want to go into nonprofits after this. It was just, I thought that that's what I wanted because I always want to help people. And I thought uh, when I was in college, I was really idealistic and I wanted to make a difference in the world. So I thought, okay, NGOs or nonprofits or, you know, social projects, human benefit stuff, that's what I wanted to do, and it was actually really good to have that nine to, I don't think, I think it was like nine to 11 months, um, can't remember, of experience to Mm -hmm. show me what is the real day-to-day like, Um, and I realized that it simply was not, um, it wasn't like to the level of efficacy and kind of uh, iteration and innovation that I, that fits my personality, Um, So, I was really grateful to that year for teaching me that. Um, My favorite part about it was honestly just speaking Spanish all the time and getting really good at that and feeling, um, you know, like I had this whole different world open up to me, a whole different personality open up to me because I could communicate in another language.
0: That's really awesome. So, after after that and working at Google, you started to kind of transition towards startups, um, you know, specifically working with Ramit Sethi uh, on his book and site, I Will Teach You To Be Rich. So how did that opportunity unfold and and why did you decide to transition from corporate to startups?
2: Um, I think I've always probably had, you know, as I mentioned what I learned from doing AmeriCorps, uh, I was always kind of looking for something more fast-paced and a little bit more innovative. And I thought that I would get that at Google, but I didn't. And not to say that Google doesn't offer those kind of opportunities to people in certain positions, but I don't have a technical background. I wasn't studying computer science mm-hmm. um, in college, for example. So I was a, I was a humanities major. I did history. Um, so coming into Google, you work somewhere in the sales organization um, and you don't, it's quite a large company at that time that I joined, it was already 16,000 people. 16,000 people. It's a whole <laughs> town of people. Um, so you don't really get to... I mean, a lot of it, especially when you're you know, 22, 23 years old, have no experience, you're basically just following a bunch of protocols that more experienced people have laid out before you. Um, it was already a public company at that time. It was do- already doing really well. Most of its mature products were already um, in existence at that time. So really, it was like a bunch of rule following, which, again, just kind of it was good for me to learn how to succeed you know socially for example within a corporate environment how to work with the team and how to read people and all of those kind of soft skills google was really great for that i ate a ton of snacks i biked (laughs) around a lot and i took a lot of like nice leisurely lunchtime strolls in mountain view um but after about a year and a half i started to feel like okay this there's something more that i want to do i want to be creative and just try a bunch of different stuff i'm only 20 at that time, I was probably 24. I'm only 24. I really want to just, um, like, jump into something that's exciting. You know, I was not content to just uh, go to work and then on the weekends, you know, go home or go shopping or hang out or whatever. I wanted to just really um, felt like there was some more risk-taking that was ahead of me. Um, So I actually, I was just kind of looking around for jobs and eventually I got recruited, I got contacted by a company based in San Francisco called High Five, which at that time was operating, I guess they call it the third largest social network in the world. Um, It eventually soon after transitioned into a social games um, creator and platform. Um, That was right right before social gaming started taking off. Like if you recall, um, there was once upon a time you know, a time before the company that Zynga became mm-hmm. was even in existence, and so that was right when I was joining High Five. It was before Zynga even existed, um, and High Five was making social games. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not so. This is like, I wasn't, you know, social games and social networks and all that. It weren't. It wasn't my passion, but it was a great chance to see a company that was at a growth stage at that time. It was. It had just received funding. It was based in San Francisco, so I got to move up to the city. And um, the only drawback to that whole thing was that I totally botched my salary negotiation for that job. Um, b- prior to that, I had been reading a book about how women never negotiate. So I went into that job, nego- or that job interview thinking, I'm not going to be one of those women that doesn't negotiate. I'm going to negotiate my salary. But also having no experience doing that, I just kind of did it randomly, and I threw out a random number, uh, not based in anything. Didn't have a whole lot of strategy behind it. And um, I'll never forget. It was me on a conference line with three other people, all men in their late thirties and forties, who were like had you know fancy titles and probably had a lot of experience negotiating. And after I threw out my ask, they paused a long dead silence, <laughs> and then simply said, "Okay, Susan." We'll get back to you. Click.
1: <laughs> wow.
2: <laughs> so, I was like, oh, my God. And, you know, here I am, 24 and a half, 25 years old, not even 25. And I thought, oh, crap, what did I just do? I am in way over my head. And that at that time, that's when I actually reached out to Ramit randomly. I had seen his article in some post that he uh Guest posted in the New York Times or something that was written about him, and I reached out to him completely randomly i didn't know him at Stanford. We did both go to Stanford, but you know it's kind of a large school, and yeah. we didn't have we were different years and everything and i said hey ramit I, I I sent him an email I guess my email was written in a thoughtful and compelling way. He offered to help me with my negotiation in exchange for uh, a couple of a couple of barriers one, I had to meet him at a strange and uh very remote diner in a faraway office park uh you know he wanted to make it a little bit hard for me i guess and then two i had to agree to be recorded in case he wanted to you know later on much later on he was very prescient at this time in case he later on wanted to make a negotiation product related to his brand Um, and i of course said yes to both of those things we ended up striking up a three-hour conversation and a really long friendship Um, and slowly, slowly, I, you know, after that I worked at high five, but I always kept in touch with Ramit and I always knew that I wanted to learn marketing at that time. I didn't know anything about marketing I had been doing kind of like operational stuff, content stuff. I was even doing some product management at high five, but I had never really done marketing. I didn't know what marketing was. It was this mystery to me, but it seemed really fascinating because it seemed really creative and it seemed really like a charismatic field. I really wanted to get into it, but I didn't know how. But I knew that Ramit was a great marketer. So I offered basically to apprentice myself to him. I worked for him for free for multiple months, um, and eventually that's how I came to work on his, on his helped him with his book marketing and came to work on his first premium product and other aspects of his site. Um, those things I didn't have to do for free, luckily, but it was a really great way to to get involved
0: so with that uh, salary negotiation, if you don't mind me asking, did you end up getting it after all? Or?
2: I get, ended up getting the job. I also ended up getting a great offer that I was so happy with. It was fully um, it was fully double what I was making at Google. So that I was pretty happy with. I mean, I was honestly quite stunned um, that, that it ended up working out that way. And I feel like everything happened in the right way, you know, even though it might have been a little bit awkward and embarrassing in, during that one phone call it was a learning experience and you know when you're young you've just got to try these things and actually there are really no serious repercussions ever pretty much in life
0: <laughs> you can awesome. try a lot of things
2: <laughs> and things will be okay <laughs> for the most part so so we should go ahead and just try
0: just do it that's awesome so working with uh, with ramit on on some of his premium products and and his site and stuff like that what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned uh from from there and especially in the marketing field
2: Definitely just do it uh, was one of the big lessons. Um, But Rami is so talented at listening to people. Um, He's really talented at seeing people for what they really are and who they really are. And this, I think, is probably the key to his marketing. He's really, really good at observing his readers, his customers, his users, whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. Really observing, really listening. Um, He does a lot more listening than most probably hundreds of times more in listening than most startups I know. Um, a lot of startups, and I think this kind of echoes people in general, you could call it startups or you could just say a lot of people in general. A lot of us kind of go through life just talking at. Um, that's like our default way of being is talking at. We talk at our family, we, we talk at our partners, we talk at our friends, um, we broadcast And we don't really truly engage in conversation. Conversation is a two-way street and it requires a whole lot of listening, not just with your ears, but with everything, right? You listen with your eyes. You listen with your uh, touch sense. You can listen with your energy of your body to another person's body energy. Um, And even if you're just one person, one marketer, connecting to thousands of people through the internet, there are a lot of ways you can listen that don't just involve... I mean, you can even... Very tactically, you can listen via social media, you can listen via email, you can listen in between the lines. Um, And this, I would say that that is the most valuable lesson I learned from Ramit was watching how many ways he elicited, he created opportunities for himself To listen and that's I think really the backbone to all of his success it's not just that he birthed a whole bunch of genius ideas in a vacuum right he got all of those ideas from observing from very close sensitive observing and very close sensitive listening and that's I think what a lot of you know uh, a lot of startup founders are missing that I see particularly through my through my work at 500 I'm in contact with a lot of founders and everybody has great intentions but not everybody knows how to listen
0: yeah, absolutely. That that's really really cool. Um, so after working with Ramit, you ended up uh, you know being the director of marketing for Inside Networks, which was later acquired by Web Media Brands. So can you tell us a little bit more about? Uh, You know, first of all, what Inside Network was and then what it was like going through that acquisition process?
2: God, yeah, it was a huge roller coaster. Inside Network started out as a couple of blogs about the Facebook ecosystem, the Facebook advertising ecosystem, and then we started to blog about social gaming. So they were basically just um, content sites. And I had experience with that because I'd been doing stuff with I Will Teach You to Be Rich. And um, I thought, hey, you know, we can figure out a way to monetize these blogs. We can um, start selling products, informational products, research products, data products, and live products, for example. We had a conference, conference line. Um, and so I just worked on, I mean, it's, we, none of us really had very specific, especially me, because I was kind of like the main business person um, next to the CEO, Justin. Everybody else was a journalist or a writer for us. Um, so my job title you have to put a title on it, right? So you can introduce yourself to other people. But in reality, it was everything to make money for the business. Mm -hmm. So I did everything from marketing to sales to product development. Um, Sometimes I acted as an analyst for our data. If we had to talk to um, a big fancy household name, investment bank that everybody has heard of, and they wanted to know about this or that thing and social games, uh, I would put my analyst hat on and help them read through the data and Sell it to them and that sort of thing. Um, so it was really cool because we were all basically—I don't want <clears throat> to disparage anybody listening here—but we were basically kids. Uh, not to be ageist, but we were in our mid to you know sort of late twenties, and we were talking to these like VIP people at at household name banks and big companies and research institutions, and we were sort of making it up as we went along so the experience was very maturing for all of us i think um and and gives so much confidence when you see wow something we we created some value that other people that are so different from us and have so much more experience in the world than we do actually want um so that was yeah it was super super fun and exciting um, and never would have thought that we would have created so much value in such a short amount of time that somebody would want to acquire us. But we mainly did that through, um, well, the, the Facebook ecosystem was really hot at that time. So we just really kept pace with that. Um, we were pretty much, Justin, the uh, founder and CEO of the company had a saying that when there's a gold rush, you should sell pickaxes. So, like, we were kind of supplying, we were the suppliers for all of this ancillary stuff that people needed in order to participate in this gold rush that was happening with the social ecosystem. Um, And that worked really well for us because we could kind of be a part out of the fray, not necessarily competing. Like There's a lot of nasty competition between um, a lot of the game developers and app developers and ad providers and things like that. And we could just be everybody's friend um, and everybody's analyst and everybody's data provider. And we could be the people that brought everybody together at an important conference. And it was a really great position, a really great position to be in, built a lot of strength for the company and a lot of strength for the brand. Um, And it was also very valuably Um, it's a really visible role when you're kind of doing a hybrid media analyst type thing and you get to know a lot of people. So it may not be as lucrative as creating an ad network, for example, but I would say, yeah, the connections, you know, for, for each of the individual people that, uh, participated in inside network, the connections and the network that we built through that were, um, paid us back many, many fold, um, beyond the acquisition and beyond, uh, anything else that we got from that time.
0: That's awesome. And then after you know working at Inside Network and the acquisition, you ended up joining uh, AppSumo. Um, so how did that opportunity come up, and, and what did you do there at AppSumo?
2: Noah Kagan, the CEO and founder of AppSumo, was an old friend of mine that I had met through back back in the Remeet days because he's friends with Remit. So we had just kind of met socially and I had helped him out doing a bit of marketing for a previous company of his in the social gaming space called Gambit. that was doing payments. Um, and Noah and I, you know, sometimes you meet a person and you're just like, you and me, man, we have a click. There was just something really great between us. We had a Great relationship. He's still a good friend to this day. Um, and there, I you know, after the transition, we we uh, sold Inside Network to Web Media Brands. Um, had a transition. I actually stayed on for quite a while. Um, and then I thought, well, okay, now now it's kind of like a big company again, or you know, feels a little bit corporate. Um, I was ready to ready to move on and try something else. And actually at that time, I was also really curious to live in a different part of the country. I had only ever lived on the West Coast, in Seattle, or in the Bay Area, and APSUMO was in Austin. And I thought, Mm -hmm. wow, what a great excuse to try living in a totally different part of America, especially a cool city like Austin. Um, So I took that excuse and ran with it. And I um, joined APSUMO, it was really fun for a bit, Um, got to try out living in a different place, But ultimately, I think it was time for me, I was suffering from quite a bit of burnout, and um, towards the end of that year, I had decided, okay, it's time for me to just do something totally for myself, not, not for work, not for my career, just... For the human, you know, inside. Because at the end of the day, the most important relationship we have with ourselves is with ourselves. The most important relationship we have in our entire lives is with ourselves. It's not really with our career or with any other person outside of us. Um, You know, at the end of the day, we have to be alone with ourselves at the end of every day and at the end of the life too. So I thought, wow, now is the time to to invest in that which I have neglected for many, many years.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask you what, what some of the biggest lessons you learned during, you know, during your, your time with startups, but also about yourself. Um, was there anything else like beyond learning how to spend time just, just for yourself and with yourself?
2: You know, I think that doing startups and doing self-management have a lot of parallels because uh, both Doing a startup and also just doing life in general, both are extremely challenging, right? And they bring up, they bring us face to face with a lot of things that we don't like in ourselves, but also things, problems that we have with the world around us. Um, Most notably the latter, like you can easily go through your startup or you can go through your life kind of bumping into walls all the time. Like, oh, this person, oh, that deal, oh, that investor, oh, this friend, oh, this boyfriend or girlfriend, and just kind of keep butting your head against all of these different uh, things that feel like obstacles, that feel like obstacles outside of ourselves. But ultimately, I think the real key to rising above that is seeing that, and this is where where the self-management comes in, it's seeing that all of those things actually live inside of you. So nothing really exists outside of you, including related to your startup. Nothing really exists outside of you. Everything is within your control. And I don't mean control in that kind of like authoritarian, I'm going to squeeze this as hard as I can, kind of controlling way. But it's within your, I guess a better word is it's within your power. So um, the same lesson that I learned not doing startups actually has really helped me you know when I decided to come back into my career and do startup stuff again, it has really helped me to manage myself better with regards to business as well as in my own life outside of my you know technically working hours. That's
1: awesome that's some really good that's some really good advice. Um so you're currently part of the five hundred startups content marketing and distribution team. Would you be able to walk us through like what five hundred startups is?
2: Yes, definitely. Five hundred startups is currently the most active seed investor in the world. Um, we have over, I don't think that official number is 900 but the real number is over 1000 investments around the world. Wow. So that means we've invested in 1000 companies or founder teams around the world which is a ton and uh what's really exciting is that those truly are around the world. There are uh, we have investments ranging in every like you know almost every continent except for Antarctica um which is pretty rare for um for the VC space. And we also, in addition to having this highly diversified and voluminous seed portfolio, we also run a startup accelerator um, in Mountain View, one in Mountain View, and one in San Francisco. And we also offer a lot of other unique programming, like our 500 distribution program, which I don't think I think we're currently the only accelerator slash seed fund that offers all of this um, distribution programming and when we say distribution we're kind of working on the branding for that but to us distribution means growth marketing it means performance marketing um, it doesn't mean like warehouses and trucks and stuff <laughs> um, so <laughs> so our distribution team we have an in-house team of people that are growth experts um, in different parts of uh, specializing in different parts of performance marketing and the idea is that you know once you've invested in a company as a VC, uh, most VCs they kind of give them money and then they check in once, in once in a while. They may offer a little bit of mentorship, a little bit of advice here or there, but we offer really really in-depth, hands-on, talk to you every single day, uh, advise you every single day, actually help you put together campaigns, um, check your metrics, do the campaigns for you in some cases if you need that. Um, We offer that kind of hands-on help related to growth so that the companies that we invest in and the companies that we bring into the accelerator have that much more of a chance at succeeding because growth is so, so, so important. Customer acquisition is the most important thing. If you don't have customers and if you don't optimize your funnel, then you can't have a business no matter how cool your product is. Um, So I think that's what's really unique about it. And then we're we also work on a bunch of other initiatives. We have a bunch of events. We run about 5 to 6 large conferences per year, uh 500 startups does. Um and some other cool stuff coming in the works like like a lot of really creative kind of, a lot of different events and things for the founder and investor community.
1: So what's a typical day like for yourself at 500 startups?
2: Well, this is the really fun part. I have uh, a very atypical life. I currently live in Bali, Indonesia. Um, and while this may seem random, 500 is actually quite active in Southeast Asia uh, and, and in greater China, which means Taiwan and Hong Kong. Um, so we're, we're quite active in the GMT plus eight time zone, not necessarily in Bali, but I'm, I'm close with a lot of our activity here in this part of the world. Um, my typical day actually is, because it's atypical because I don't go to an office. Uh, i work from home or i work from my co-working sp- my local co-working space which is really nice here in ubud um I have you know my a really good uh very regimented schedule i do my yoga practice every day in the morning very early in the morning about 5am um, I usually check in with work before that because of the just to have some good time zone overlap. And then the rest of my day I spend going between um, working on different projects for 500 to kind of take just taking care of stuff in my life, which is what I always wanted. Um, when I lived right in the heart of Silicon Valley in San Francisco, I didn't really find that I had very much balance. Like I wouldn't even do stuff like clean my house or really take care of my own laundry and all these things that you hear about, you know, startup founders and people living the startup life is normal for them. But for me, that always felt really unhappy, uh, very unhealthy, I would say. Um, one of your questions that you we talked about before was any personal mottos that you live by or think others should know about. And this brings me to one of those. Um, I think it's critical to put your own oxygen mask on first before helping others. Uh, and that's something I remind myself of every week, if not every day. So when I say put your own oxygen mask on first, I mean things like, um, you know, just taking care of your own health and well-being, taking being able to feed yourself, being able to clean yourself, being able to clothe yourself, all of this stuff that we sort of take for granted in the modern world because we think it's okay to downsource or outsource all that stuff. But I take a different approach. I insource those things. I want to do that stuff all for myself because... Uh, Because it feels good, because it feels right, and because it makes me more of a strong and orderly person to go about my day. Um, So that means I still, you know, cook all my own meals. I do my own laundry. And because I don't go into an office, I have a lot of space and time to do that while still attending to, you know, my various work juggling that I do throughout the day.
1: That's some really good advice again. Um, So what should a company looking to be accepted to 500 startups focus on, in your opinion?
2: Um, I would say two words. To be accepted into the 500 Startups Accelerator or uh, family of companies, most important thing is unit economics. I don't know if everybody would say that at 500, but to me, coming from the marketer's background, um, unit economics meaning things like you know what your customer's lifetime value is, you know your acquisition costs, you know your retention rate, you know those numbers behind your business, um, that will put you way far ahead of most companies that are at the early stage. Um, the challenge of being an early stage company is that is, is getting unit economics and is projecting what it is that uh, your business will look like you know, if you add more juice to it. But if you can have a clear picture of what your unit economics are, because you've run early tests, and you can extrapolate the results of those tests, then um, you'll be way ahead of most people that are kind of at that same level. And that offers a great distinction um, when you're looking when an accelerator program is considering you or when, uh, um, you know, a seed investor is considering you.
1: That's awesome. So are there any apps, books, devices, or tools that you're currently obsessed with right now?
2: Uh, There's an app that I'm a little bit obsessed with right now. I love, this is not going to be super unique, but I love Slack. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard of it. I'm sure a lot of people who are listening have used it or are currently using it. Maybe you guys use it. Um, We use it at 500 and it is just so delightful. Um, It's really the little things, right? Like that they understand about team communication that they just make a little bit easier you could list them out and they seem so small, but you add it up and it creates for this beautiful user experience that just anticipates your needs. Um, I love that you can do all the Slack integrations. One integration we really we leverage heavily at 500 is the integration with Giphy, uh, just because we like to use a lot of gifs in our communications. Uh, internally at 500, we joke around a lot. We use pictures and animated stuff to um, to speak to each other. Um, quite often. So that just adds a lot of fun to our work communications. Also, because our team is distributed across so many time zones in so many parts of the world, having something like Slack that people can use easily on mobile or um, or you know as an app on their desktop or through web is so critical. I mean, it's just very, very flexible. Um, we like having all the different rooms, the different tags, the fact that it's searchable, all the features. So I'm really into Slack. It's a part of pretty much every waking hour of my life. Um, and I don't I don't regret that at all. I really, really enjoy it. Uh, and it has made things so much easier um, than anything else we've tried so far. So I'm pretty into Slack. Um, in terms of books, you know, I'm actually a little bit sad to say I'm kind of out of touch with books. But one thing I do really enjoy reading, I subscribe to a lot of newsletters. A lot. Um, I love the Mattermark newsletter, which is a yeah. newsletter for that is mainly targeting the venture community, but they also kind of they um, aggregate a lot of stuff coming from investors, but also from startup operators. I find it's really well curated. It's not too much stuff, um, and it comes almost every day. I can ch- I choose to read it almost every day if I have time. Um, And I can trust that everything's really high quality in it. Um, Another newsletter that I love reading is called Next Draft. It's a daily curated newsletter of a bunch of different interesting content from news to tech to human interest, not necessarily focused on startups or venture. Mm -hmm. Um, I like that just because it presents a lot of high quality content that I just simply don't have time to go out and find myself and it keeps me a little bit current with what's going on in the world, not just what's going on in the business world either.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Those are both great, uh, great newsletters. Uh, and, and everyone loves Slack, so that's awesome. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks so much for your time, uh, Susan. It was awesome getting to speak with you uh, again today.
2: Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. It was really great to talk to you and hope to hear more from you soon.
0: Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Hack2Start and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind the scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.